The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Practical Spirituality. Positive Messages. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Eat better, get healthy, and help animals. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. My favorite quotation in all the world comes from Mahavira, a saint in the Jain religion, and he said, To every creature, Their own life is very dear. Sometimes when people ask me why I'm vegan or why I care about animals, I just quote that because it pretty much says it all. And today we're going to be learning more about these beautiful teachings from someone who does amazing things for animals. And I'm so happy that you are here to be part of it. Hey, everybody, I am Victoria Moran, your host for the Main Street Vegan Program, and it's always a pleasure to be with you and to be on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world, and we're going to be waking things up today with a kind of two-part program with one amazing guest, Shalene Shaw. So as you could tell from the little intro, Shalene is a Jane. He grew up in Jane. And he's going to share with us about this wonderful tradition and and their beautiful teachings on ahimsa, nonviolence towards all creatures. And he's not just somebody who sits back and talks about nonviolence and and compassion as a philosophical construct, but he is actually out there, out in the world, and I guess we can say out in the dirt with a wonderful farmed animal sanctuary in Colorado, Love in Arms. 
So Charlene and his family, his wife Shilpi and their two sons are the founders of Love in Arms in Colorado and the Open Sanctuary Project. And they're working to spread ahimsa, nonviolence, and karuna, compassion, towards all life. Welcome, Charlene. Hi, Victoria. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's absolutely wonderful. I have been spent the past couple of hours just looking you up and <laughs> pouring over your website. <laughs> and I don't know who your photographer is, but they're so gifted to be able to really capture the souls of these animals. There's one pig portrait that just feels like the Mona Lisa of pig portraits. So um, loveinarms.org, everybody, do visit there and take a look. Look at these wonderful pictures and, and read all about it. So, Shalene, let's uh, go back a little ways. I don't want to go all the way back to childhood. We're going to be talking about the Jainism more in the second half of the program. But you were at a horse auction? And that's where all this started. Tell us how that came about. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I, I love to actually start with the story of Holly, who is our horse. Um, you know, I, I, we didn't have any pets growing up. And when we did, it was a horse and it was Holly. So we went big. Um, but, you know, we first adopted Holly because I had a passion for riding horses in, in India when I was growing up. And then I moved here, and we adopted Holly after our second son was born. And then it was for the first time I actually saw the horse for who he or she is, um, who Holly was, and not just what I wanted from her. And the realization pretty soon came that me riding was subjugating my will on her, not necessarily honoring her as an individual. So I stopped riding. But then through her inspiration, we decided to rescue other horses because there's just so much atrocities that happen in the U.S. towards horses and all around the world. Um, but it was something that we felt that we could do <clears throat> because we had a small home in suburbia in a very small backyard uh, and that we could afford to pay for boarding facilities for horses. So we rescued some horses, and then we got a call one time that there's a mare and two babies at an auction where they're normally sent for slaughter. And so it was about an hour away from our house. I go there, and I learn this is the first time I'm going to one of these auctions. And I learn I have to wait about six hours for these individuals to come to the auction floor. So I'm walking around, and I'm watching the auction, and these six hours pass in an excruciatingly painful, emotional way because I'm seeing hundreds of farmed animals of all species, of all ages, mostly babies, are pushed, pulled, kicked, and prodded onto the auction floor being sold by the pound. And it was just, you know, such a helpless feeling to be there and to see them and to see the emotions and their just their faces, that they knew what was happening and they did not, you know, they were very afraid. And, um, and, you know, although we were able to save the horses, I just kept praying to the universe that I wish we had our own land that we could have saved some of the others because we couldn't board 
other farmed animals at the boarding facility. So, you know, on our way home or towards the boarding facility, I'm just making this prayer that I wish we had our own land. And literally that very night, I get a phone call from a, a, a colleague who, who we knew, and they said, there's 23 acres two miles down from your house that's released. Do you know anybody who could use it? And it just it felt like the universe was answering the prayer. Um, but, you know, we had two little ones. My youngest was barely one year old. And my wife and I had absolutely no experience with farmed animals or how to care for any animals because our horses were boarded and cared by others. Um, I did not know how, know how to care for land or even swing a hammer to be constructive and, or build anything or fix anything. So it was a very, you know, kind of realization of how can we do this? If the universe is answering us, we can't ignore that, but how do we do this? We spent the whole night talking and discussing this, and somehow we decided that the universe is telling us to do something that we cannot ignore. So the next day, we signed the lease. That's how the sanctuary started. That's thrilling. <laughs> I think we all get these nudges, and we think, well, maybe it's the universe, but and then all the excuses start listing themselves. And the fact that you just said, no, this is the right thing to do. We're going to do it is pretty cool. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, who, who did you start off with? You had the that. horses? We had the horses, but the property was just in shambles. It was an old property, had one, one small barn, um, but was not very safe to even bring animals into. So it was... You know, but we were at a loss on how to fix this because we didn't know. Um, but somehow one of our neighbors posted on Facebook and, and 35 strangers showed up the first weekend. They stayed all day, helped us clean and fix the, the facilities, and then they kept coming for eight more weeks. And it was such an incredible moment to realize that there's a community and that together with the community we can actually do good in this world. Um, and so after those eight weeks is when we were able to first make our first rescue. And the first one was Alfie, um, a goat. I'm missing you, Shalene. Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, That's okay. Can you hear me? Yes, you said Alfie. Your first one was Alfie, but Alfie. we don't know what That's species right. he was or goat. is. He was, he was a goat. He is a goat. Oh, Goats yeah. are so enchanting. <laughs> I mean, everybody is when oh, yeah. you get to know them. The personalities are so great. So, okay, you're there, and you have horses, and you have Alfie, and you have wonderful neighbors. Then yeah. what happened? Oh, um, yeah, we kept on learning and growing. We rescued a few hens from an egg-laying facility. We rescued and some pigs, and, um, and realized very quickly we knew very, very little uh, on how to care for farmed animals, what to feed them for their long-term health, because everything you Google gives you, gave you the answers of, you know, how to raise them for food, um, and, and nothing about how to give them a long life. And, and so that's when we originally had the vision for Open Sanctuary, but then that vision came to life only a couple of years later. Um, and what is that? It, 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 
So Open Sanctuary is a online resource. Um, now we have a dedicated team there um, and hundreds and hundreds of deeply researched, well-vetted articles of how to create, uh, run, and grow a farmed animal sanctuary or how to just care for farmed animals in your life. If you just happen to have a, a pet, uh, you know, pet duck or a pet uh, pig, that you, know, you need the resources of how to care for them, what kinds of diseases to watch for, what are the symptoms, things like that. That's where Open Sanctuary comes in to provide compassionate care for, for lifelong um, you know, care of farmed animals. And that is uh, opensanctuary.org. Where do we find that? That's right. That's right. Okay. Yes. Okay, we'll put that in the show notes as well, opensanctuary.org. Yeah, well, I don't have any farmed animals, but I do have a rescue pigeon and uh, sometimes need resources for him, and those are out there. So it's wonderful that they're there for farmed animals as well. So before we completely leave this, this horse topic, I think that a lot of my listeners are familiar with the plight of animals on farms, but... I don't think we all know a lot about the situation facing horses. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. So, you know, I, I, there's, there's many different species of horses and many different ways that people use or abuse horses. Some of the, the key ones, um, well, the, the mare that we rescued at that, at that auction, um, she most likely came from a Premarin facility. The Premarin is a drug that women take during menopause, and but the, the ingredients for that drug actually come from pregnant mare's urine. So that's where the name Premarin comes from. Uh, and in these facilities, they keep these mares pregnant all the time and in a small enclosed area so they can collect the urine, um, and the babies are discarded. There's... So, and then there's also in the horse racing world, um, you know, one, the, the individuals that are racing themselves are horribly abused, often die on the course. Um, and, and then the actual, the background of it, the, you know, there's actually uh, a, a situation called a nurse mare foal, which means that there are, you know, the mares that produce racehorses are used to, you know, just continually produce racehorses. So they are sent to one place, they become pregnant, they have a baby, and they don't get to nurse their baby. They get sent again to have another baby, you know, matched up with another racehorse. Um, but those babies of those racehorses are then nursed by other regular horses whose babies have been taken away and killed. So like, there's all these things that are happening in the background in the horse world um, that are just very troublesome and, and uh, you know, quite um, you know, just things that you would definitely consider as, as abuse in, 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 our, in our view. Well, thank you for letting us know about this. I, I, I knew that there were terrible things going on because it seems that when humans have a chance to interact with animals, that is unfortunately often the case. But it is information that, that we need to know. So for anybody out there who has this dream of starting a sanctuary, what would you tell them? Yeah, um, learn a lot. 
take your time. There is so much to it, um, which is why Open Sanctuary exists. Um, you know, there's literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages. Um, we recently actually produced or teamed uh, a uh, care evaluation guide that if you're a sanctuary, how do you value yourself on the level of care that you're providing your, the farmed animals in your care? And that just a care evaluation guide, it's, just, it's basically a list of checklists um, that you can check off. And it's 180 pages long, and we still feel that it's not exhaustive. So just think about how much is involved. Most people on the outside of a sanctuary don't have that full understanding. So if you want to start a sanctuary, take your time to learn well before you, you take any steps to create one. That's very wise. I know sometimes we just want to help so much that uh, it, it's hard sometimes to get all the information that that's needed before going forward. So tell us an animal story. Just tell us about somebody that lives there at Love and Arms, any species, and just what they're like. Yeah. Um, so I want to tell you the story about Gracie. Gracie's a chicken. She was raised for meat. She was at a um, at a large scale meat farm um, that raises chickens for food uh, in Colorado. That farm went bankrupt a couple of winters ago, and this was in the middle of winter, and the farm didn't have money to pay for electricity to, to heat the barns or food to feed the birds. There were 35,000 of these birds that were essentially starving to death. We found out about it and, and went there along with a few other rescues in the Colorado area. Um, and the scene was just unimaginable. There, these birds were eating each other because they were so hungry. There was birds that were just freezing to death. We were able to rescue about 650 of them from that situation. And Gracie was one of them. Um, she's made this incredible recovery from just how sick she was. And, you know, we, we have this program called Clicker Play at the Sanctuary. Gracie loves to be with people. And through this Clicker Play program, you know, the, the program is to actually enrich the lives of the residents of the sanctuary. It gives them kind of mental, emotional stimulation. It allows them to, you know, to interact with the caregivers in a very positive way and builds a common language between them so then the care process uh, is, is is without fear and is very gentle. So um, so that's what we do in Clicker Play. But through Clicker Play, Gracie, a chicken, has learned you know how to count, how to tell apart colors. She can play um, soccer or football. Um, she can twirl. You know she loves to you know go into a hula hoop. Like there's all these things that she does that just sets me, it's, it's like most people don't understand or expect chickens to be that intelligent. And, and you know, like she is just an incredible, incredible individual that, that has moved a lot of people because they can now see and relate that, my gosh, like chickens are intelligent. Um, you know, so that's it's such a beautiful story. I love, love Gracie. Oh, that is a beautiful story. And at first when you were talking, I, I was thinking, 
clicker plague. That, that's what my husband calls the remote control for the TV. But now I remember <laughs> it's that little thing that some people use for dog training that makes the little right. click click sound, right? right? That's right. Yeah. And and yeah. how do you how do you yeah. do that to play with a with any animal? so that they can have a yeah. more enriching environment. And you know I'm also thinking of a certain pigeon as I ask you that. <laughs> we have this incredible team of volunteers. Uh, one of them, Cheryl, she actually works for Google, but um, she helped us create this program and actually then trained our other volunteers to work with our, our different residents. But there's usually one person is paired with one of our animal residents and over time, they build up this relationship with clicker play, and they go through a series of different uh, exercises and learning opportunities, um, and it's just it's a step-by-step -step process. But it, it is positive reinforcement is how we uh, communicate together. So we, we think of it as play and not training um, because our goal is to really you know, create a, an enrichment opportunity for them. Uh, yes. And a uh, opportunity to uh, you know have them feel at ease during um, you know, during any care. So, for example, with our pigs, um, you know, as we have to manage their weight. So, but to get them to stand on a scale would have been a very frightful experience for them. But with clicker play now, you can literally go up to them and tell them, you know, Felix, you know, on the scale. And he would be very happy to walk up and you know, stand on the scale so we can weigh him. Um, and similarly, trimming their hooves um, was you know, a bit of a struggle and a frightful experience for them. But with this positive uh, communication method, you know, now the pigs are happy to just kind of lay down, get a belly rub, <clears throat> and have their hooves trimmed like they're at a spa. Uh, and it's just such a more rewarding experience for for the caregivers as well as the, the individual residents. So just briefly, how, how does it work? Do the animals like the sound of the clicker? Is that what the reward component is? Yeah. It's, it, so the, the, initially, like when you're establishing the communication, the clicker is actually a, an audible indicator of, yes, that's what I meant. Um, and then it's often followed with some other sort of uh, positive enforcement, so either a treat or a verbal, you know, great job, or, uh, you know, if, you, if you're working with a dog, it could be, you know, you're petting them and, and making a, you know, really positive, encouraging behavior with them. But the, the click allows for an audible indicator of, yep, that's what I meant. Um, so it's just an easier tool that many people can actually even make a click with their mouth or they can say a particular phrase or a word when you are also indicating that positive behavior. Oh, that's just lovely. What, what, a, what a cool idea. So talk to us a little bit about what's coming up on October 2nd. Yeah, it's been six years since we started the sanctuary. And uh, so we're celebrating our sixth year um, in a gala. It's our fundraising gala on October 2nd. It is also the birthday for Mahatma Gandhi, and so it is Ahimsa Day. Um, and so on, on October 2nd, we will have a in-person as well as a virtual gala. Um, we'll have you know, lots of opportunities for people to engage with us, to learn more about us, 
um, and, and to support us. And you can find more about that at lovinarms, L-U-V-I-N, arms.org. And I know you're in Colorado, but what are you close to if somebody wanted to be part of that in person? Yeah, we, we're close to Boulder, Denver. Um, it's very close. So it's from Denver downtown, we're just 20 minutes north. From Boulder, we're about 25 minutes east. Um, from the Denver airport, if someone were to fly in, we're only 30 minutes away. So very centrally and easily located. Oh, cool. What a wonderful way to spend Ahimsa Day. And you do a lot of cool stuff there. I know last year or, or a few months back, you had the Beauty and Wellness Month. I mean, this is very clever. Who comes up with all these ideas? You know, our, our team, we, we have, we're blessed with such an incredible team. Um, we, we have... Our executive director, Shertrina, um, she led uh, that that event. But it's it's about you know people come into the space of uh, growing more compassion towards animals from all sorts of perspectives, um, and and beauty and wellness is often overlooked. That there's so much of our products that we use on a day-to-day basis that contain animal products or are tested on animals. So we wanted to showcase you know highlight that there are um, more compassionate resources available. And, and that's where that, that, that event was born. Well, that's beautiful. That's great. Then I want to ask you, we're down to our last three minutes in this segment, but about your sons, what's it like for them to have access to all these amazing animals? <laughs> they absolutely love it. They they love being a part of the sanctuary and and hearing about the day to day life there. Um, you know, they 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 love sharing the stories with their friends and their teachers at school. Um, and you know, it was part of our inspiration for starting the sanctuary was we wanted our boys to have an opportunity to put the values that we want them to learn in life into action and actually see them. Uh, and how they are applied in day-to-day life and choices that we make. I'm very envious of your children growing up, not only with all those wonderful animals, but the way that you speak about them when you talk about these animals as individuals. You know, you you talk about them the way that most people talk about humans. And I know that language maybe is not as important as action, but it's pretty important because it kind of lays the groundwork for how we see one another. And it's so beautiful to hear the way that you speak about these, these beings who are individuals just like any of the rest of us. That's right. They really are. They're all individually incredible and in just who they are. That's so cool. So after the break, we are going to learn about Jainism and and the kind of of spiritual underpinning of these wonderful ideas of ahimsa and also compassion. We're going to learn another Sanskrit word for that. Loveandarms.org is the website. Love and Arms on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Have a look. And we will be back after these lovely messages from Unity Online Radio. I 
Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. You're listening to Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan with your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. So lovely to have you. And speaking of Main Street Vegan, we hang out at MainStreetVegan.net where you can read about Main Street Vegan Academy if you'd like to up your game and become a certified vegan lifestyle coach and educator. Our next Zoom course is happening in January, so there's uh, plenty of time to plan for that and, and clear some weekends. I also want to invite you all to join the Main Street Vegan Podcast Listeners Group on Facebook. This is really our inner circle where I let you know in advance who's going to be on, if you have some questions that you want asked. Oftentimes there are books to give away and it's it's just a wonderful little inner circle. So do check us out there, Main Street Vegan Podcast Listeners Group. And then I do want to do a shout out to the Compassion Consortium. I'm involved in that with Three other founders. They are all interfaith ministers. So I'm kind of the layperson of the Compassion Consortium. And what it is, is a spiritual center for people who care about animals, for people who have this ahimsa ethic. So if you have a spiritual tradition, we can be your second home. Or if you don't have one, we would love to be your first home. So we meet the fourth Sunday of every month via Zoom. And our special guest on September 26th is Duke McLeod. He's a practicing Sufi Muslim and emerging Islamic scholar who is going to be joining us from New Zealand. And I always think that dedication is when somebody defies time zones. But anyway, you can find out more about this beautiful interfaith, interspiritual, interspecies community at CompassionConsortium.org. We'd love to have you stop in. And now we are back with more with our wonderful guest, Shalene Shaw. And again, you can find him at LoveInArms, L-U-V-I-N-A-R-M-S dot O-R-G. They're a fabulous sanctuary out in Colorado. But you did not start out in this world in Colorado. So tell us a little bit about uh, your childhood and your childhood tradition. Sure. Um, so we grew up in India. I was 10 years old when we first moved to the United States. Uh, with my family, um, but in India, you know, we were. I was born into 
the Jain faith and got to really experience it and live it and learn about it through through our family and through our, uh, our traditions, as well as the Jain monks and nuns who we would visit with and, and learn from. Um, and it's, it's, you know, it was kind of, it's been a part of our lives ever since, but, you know, moving here, there was a point where we were not necessarily practicing the, um, you know, the, the rituals on an ongoing basis, but the values of the Jain religion is what created a basis of our day-to-day lives, and, and that's what we live out, live out. So I know that Jainism is, is the great keeper of ahimsa, but there's another word, karuna, and help us understand the difference between ahimsa and karuna. Yeah, karuna is is true compassion, right? So compassion is when you put yourself in someone else's shoes and see the world through their eyes, um, and that is that is a value that karuna teaches because it's with compassion that you can practice connectedness and um, and and actually help someone. Um, you you have to have the true compassion to be able to really understand things from that, their perspective. And how about ahimsa as you see it? Yeah, ahimsa is about, it, it, you know, the English way of describing it is it is nonviolence towards all living beings, towards even all forms. And, and it's the all forms part that is quite expansive, right? So when we think of in the Western world, when we think of nonviolence, we are usually thinking about aggression and physical you know, violence. Whereas you know, the way Hisa is contemplated is that violence is, is not only the physical form of it, but there is an emotional, mental form, there is a verbal form, you know, it is how we think, how we act, how we talk, how we, what we do that can inhibit violence. Um, so it is about removing, it's a process of, you know, observing, understanding, in removing violence from your life as a as an ongoing meditation. That's so interesting because I think so often we just lump that in with compassion, but as you have described it, it it's different. I also heard you say in an interview that you did with the Interfaith Vegan Connection these animals don't need our kindness, they need our compassion. And again, that's another kind of synonym that we do, kindness, compassion. So help us kind of ferret that out. What's the difference? So um, kindness is normally attached with ego, right? It is something that you give, whereas compassion takes yourself out of the equation and you know you then... Are, are now part of the other, and you're seeing things from their perspective. And and when you do that, your you you know how you act and talk and behave with that individual completely changes once you truly form a compassionate bond. Fascinating. So for those listeners who are completely unfamiliar with Jainism, I know that ahimsa is a huge part of it, but there. Are 
are also many, many teachings, and I know it's complex, like all the great wisdom traditions of the world, but can you give us just a little tutorial so that we can understand a bit about Jainism as a whole? Sure. Um, the way I think of it is, is Jainism is a way of life, um, not necessarily a religion that you're following. Um, you know, and, and what Jainism teaches there's certain kind of core belief systems that actually tie into the tenets. So if you understand that that philosophy, it helps you really understand the the whole um, you know, spiritualism of Jainism. It's you know the core part of it is that they believe in we believe in reincarnation that our soul doesn't die, our only our body does, and that we are reincarnated into other life forms. And that there is a goal of that reincarnation, which is moksha, which is you know, maybe commonly understood as nirvana. It is being one with the universe and no longer having to go through the cycle of rebirth. And to achieve that, you know, there are certain values that you have to exhibit because there's karma and you, you there's all multitudes of different types of karma, but to free yourself of karma, you have to adopt certain core values of how you live. And, and that, those are the core tenets of Jainism. You know, one, you know, the, one of the biggest one is ahimsa, but there's others. There's anikatanvad, which means multiplicity of views, that there isn't just one source or one truth or one perspective you have to accept multiple perspectives and there's multiple truths from different perspectives. Um, there's non-possessiveness, which is aparigraha, which means you know a detachment of not just material things, but of people and places and your own wants and desires, you're having a, a detachment from, from or non-possessiveness from that. There's also satya, which is truthfulness, um, and it is you know, not just in what we say, but also how we think and how we act. Even truth can have so many different forms. Um, and then, of course, non-stealing, which is thea uh, or korea. Um, and, and that's, of course, not taking anything that is not properly given to you. So like, you know, these tendons add into your way of living, which is designed to reduce or remove karma from your soul and ideally achieve moksha uh, or salvation. Oh, that's beautiful. And I know a lot of those terms from yoga, so it's very interesting to see how um, you, you can't hold a good teaching down. <laughs> it finds its way <laughs> into, uh, into lots of places. So let's talk a little bit about India and animals and dairy and cows. I think it's hard for us in the West, especially people who have not been to India. I'm fortunate enough that uh, I did spend a couple of months there on two different occasions, and I just cherish that memory so much and hope I can make another one uh, when, when the world is normal uh, again. But I do think it's very hard for, for Western vegans to understand why a culture that has such a strong history of vegetarianism and such respect for all life with cows, maybe a little extra, ha have the connection to dairy that is so prevalent. Can you help us with that? 
I think, yeah, well, I can try. Um, but I, I think it's it has to do with a very similar thing that we experience here in the West, which is marketing and propaganda. Um, you know, dairy traditionally in India was not as prevalent as most people think it is today. Um, it, it was even in, in Ayurveda, which is essentially holistic health, um, you know, prescriptions in, 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 in Eastern philosophy and in, in Indian philosophy. You know, prescription of dairy was, you know, very rare. It was actually used as occasional medicine, uh, but never uh, as a daily food. Um, and and it is, you know, certainly like, there is large lobby of dairy, and dairy consumption has actually increased over the past uh, few hundred years in India. It it has it wasn't there before. The majority of the dairy consumed today in India is in form of tea, their chai. Um, and people, you know, and I personally, I, I think of caffeine as, as an addictive drug. Um, most people in India were not drinking tea before the British Raj, with, when England, um, you know, ruled over India. That's when tea uh, came to be a tradition and, and milk was added to the tea. So, so like the vast consumption of dairy is is more recent, um, and in India, a lot of propaganda is actually tied into and woven into belief systems and religions and spiritualism. And so there is there is a lot of mythology about how dairy is holy um, and how different gods and different um, uh, beliefs in India. Um, espouse the use of dairy, so that's that's kind of tied into the this um, this belief system that if you examine and go deeper, um, you know that it, it it didn't really come from that that lineage or that history. It, it's it stands apart from. It's so fascinating. My um, guest last week, one of them, we were talking about when people know that going vegan is really the right thing to do, but they just can't do it or won't do it. It's like, it's easier to understand when people just say, I don't think so. I don't believe that. I'm not interested that they wouldn't do it. But the people who say, yeah, I know, you know, it's the right thing to do, but I'm not going to do it. It's just such an interesting question. I wish somebody could, you know, do a, a, a sociological study about what the difference is between people who learn about this way of life and can just say, well, of course, that makes sense and change. And other people that say, well, yeah, it makes sense, but I just can't change. And I think that happens in every country on earth. So thank yeah. you. Thank you for that, that explanation. So how is it raising children as Janes in the United States in 2021? Yeah, um, you know, so, so there are, there are many cities around around the country that actually have some very vibrant Jain communities, and they have uh, you know Jain centers or um, you know places of worship, and they have communities there, and they even have the equivalent of Sunday school for the children. Um, unfortunately, where we are, the community is very small, and it's it's far about an hour hour and a half away from where we live. 
So we don't have that much of a in-person community interaction for the kids. But you know, the way we think about Jainism is is the living of these core tenets, the values of applying them in day-to-day -day choices that we make, and and that's easier for us to do with our boys, um, and and even be able to show that in action because of the sanctuary and the work that we do there. Um, so that connection, it, it helps them really understand how to implement those values and not just learn about them. Oh, that's really beautiful. I, I think an animal sanctuary is sort of a religious center. <laughs> you don't have to say that, but uh, it, it's really doing uh, divine work. So I know that you and your wife both are in, in business and you're out in the world doing commercial things and uh, there's so many businesses now that are just furthering veganism in such such a wonderful way so how do you look at that and how, how does jainism look at that as well yeah um you know i i i can talk about my personal views of that um i don't yet know how you know the jain spiritualism would view it because I think there's there's a difference, um, and you know I'm quite excited that we're living in a time where animal agriculture is recognized to be unsustainable, and that there is you know effective activities that are happening and new technologies that are coming that will you know that will essentially render it um, just today's technology like that raising animals for food will become, you know, hopefully in our lifetime, something that we look back upon and say, yeah, that was barbaric, and that was yesterday's technology, and we're no longer doing that. Um, just the same as whale oil was replaced, and horse and buggies were replaced with newer technologies. Um, I can see a trajectory where our world replaces animals for food and materials with newer, more sustainable, and far more compassionate technologies. Wow, that really seems like an object of meditation for me, to just sit and envision the post-animal agriculture world and how many wonderful things can happen for animals and people in a life like that. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, that's cool. Okay, well, something to work toward for all of us now, as, as well as look forward to. So, Shalene, as somebody who's very involved in the vegan world, in this whole tradition of Ahimsa, and also hands-on with a, a farmed animal sanctuary, what are some of your ideas for how we're going to bring about a vegan world? Yeah, um, I, I think it's, highly nuanced, right? Um, there's so many people who come to the realization of going vegan in so many different ways. Um, we, we absolutely, when we're doing advocacy, we have to start with compassion towards the individuals that, that you're advocating towards and who you're advocating for. And recognize that for those individuals, there is a cultural shift that has, that has to happen and it is not easy, right? They, cooking or buying certain things, you, know, you usually learn it as a child 
from your parents and they've learned it from their parents. And, you know, there is this lineage that you're asking to break often and say, no, don't do this this way, do it that way without actually providing the in-between of exactly how. Um, because a lot of times food is tied to emotions, to memories, and it's, it's so powerful. So I think for advocacy, it has to come from a very compassionate point of view. And, and it, it has to be varied. You know, people come to it for environmental reasons, for animal advocacy, for uh, health, and, you know, even for beauty and wellness. I mean, there's, there's all these different ways. Um, but, but what I'm most excited about, even beyond that, is, is these technologies that are coming. Um, and some are already here. And, you know, we will most likely achieve kind of price parity for plant-based meat or animal-based food replacement will probably reach price parity in the next couple of years. Um, you know, think about like Beyond Burger and uh, Impossible Burger being at the same cost of animal foods. Um, and the tastes are improving on, on that end, but then there's all these other technologies coming. There's recombinant-type foods that are uh, essentially um, grown in like uh, bacteria, there's there's proteins created in bacteria that are bioidentical to dairy, for example. Um, like this company called Perfect Day, they have created this ice cream that tastes and is bioidentical to cow-based ice cream, but it's made with non no cows, um, right? And then even further out, there's cellular agriculture coming which would grow uh, animal flesh in a lab, essentially, but it would be bioidentical. So there's all these technologies coming that will replace animal products in the market without people even having to make those choices. And, and, and I can see that along with our advocacy and continued compassion and, and growth in our education and outreach, really creating this vegan world that we all dream of. Yeah, it's it's perfect, except that it's not fast enough. But other than that, perfect. So one of the questions that we always used to get, and I think still sometimes get more when people are trying to be annoying perhaps than otherwise, is if we stopped eating animals, what would happen to all of them? And I always thought that was such a foolish question because the phase out would take so long but it's actually possible with all this innovation and with the strong push from climate change that it might be quicker than we think. So yeah. let me ask the devil's advocate question. What will we do with the animals? Yeah. You know what the most people don't know about farmed animals and, and raising them for food is just how old they are when they are killed for, for their, you know, their bodies. Um, like imagine, I mean, chickens are, you know, just a couple of months old. I mean, they're, when chickens raised for you know, meat, they're still chirping as little babies when they're killed, right? They, they don't crow or uh, cluck like hens. I mean, they're, they're chirping like little babies when they're killed. So they're, they're just so young. Pigs are, you know, about seven to eight months old and, Cows are about 18 to 24 months old. And, you know, so these are very young babies. And, you know, so as, you know, technology and, and shift in food production happens, it will still happen gradually enough where it will just mean less of these farm animals are 
uh, brought into this world to be raised in a cruel system and, and killed for food. Oh, that's good. Oh my gosh, I feel so happily ever after. You have uh, really made me happy this afternoon. Shalene Shaw, Love in Arms Sanctuary, loveinarms.org. So if you were speaking today to a large group of young people, the people who are going to be inheriting this planet, what would your message be? Oh, well, first of all, um, I am very sorry for the world that we are leaving you and for the inactions of our generation and our generations before us that has created this world that, that they are inheriting. And, but, you know, but we have all the faith in them to make the right choices where we fail to do so and create a world that is full of compassion for all life and that we will have a better future here on Earth. Well done. <laughs> Maybe you'll be the graduation speaker for your kid's school. So it's been so lovely to share this time with you today, and I just want to thank you and Shilpi and all of your wonderful staff for what you do. And I strongly encourage everyone to visit the Love and Arms website. Not only do you really get to know these animals, but you get to know so much about the staff people and what draws somebody to this kind of work. It's, you know, a different draw <laughs> than most people are, are looking for in careers. But, oh, my gosh, it seems so incredibly rewarding. These are just really, really remarkable people. And I also want to do a shout out to some of your products that support the sanctuary. I just ordered a tank top. I teach yoga, and I feel that my... My animal sanctuary tank tops are just one more little way <laughs> to do some activism. And they also have masks. You know, we're in the COVID era. So if you're going to be wearing a mask, you may as well wear one that uh, does something to help animals. So do check out loveandarms.org. And also, as I was saying, do um, have a visit to MainStreetVegan.net. Check out CompassionConsortium.org. There are so many good people in the world doing so many amazing things. And everybody listening to this podcast is on that list. God bless you for all that you do. And we'll send some of those good wishes to Unity Online Radio as well. And our stalwart engineer, Jeff. So to everybody, God bless and eat your veggies. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I'm an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like 
earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network. Subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.